This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Evening, this is Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, with rising costs of living continuing to be a concern, we look at whether we should be moving towards becoming a welfare state. So first, economist Jeffrey Williams joins us to talk about the pros and cons of this. Then we hear from various stakeholders on whether this is the way to go. We'd like to hear from you. Should we move towards being a welfare state? And would you be willing to pay higher taxes to get us there? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. This is Inside Story. It is six oh eight and. Let's, I suppose, just dive in. So with all this talk of rising costs of living, as well as multiple calls um, for the government in many ways to bridge that gap, to play that role of a buffer between the real struggles of Rakyat, um, Rakyat's financial issues, um, I... There have been so conversations about what this might look like, right? And so we thought it would be timely to uh, look at whether a welfare system, a comprehensive social welfare system, is what we should be moving towards. So um, there are many ways to describe or define what a welfare state can be. But um, at its premise, it's a way of governing in which the state or the government provides basic economic security for its citizens. So in a welfare state, the government is responsible for the individual and social welfare of its citizens by protecting them from issues that could be associated with uh, aging, um, unemployment, from accidents, from sickness. And some examples um, of systems that do this include countries that might have unemployment benefits, for instance, or countries that have old age pensions for um senior citizens across the board. So those are just some ways in which an el- a welfare state can function. And <clears throat> I think, um, as, as I said at the start of the show, this is increasingly coming at a time when there are concerns about an aging population. There are concerns about um, the rising cost of living. And we see this most obviously, I think, in the last uh, year or two with the multiple calls uh, for things like EPF withdrawals. So we've so far done four withdrawal schemes. And while the government has said that we are not going to um, initiate another one, um, there have been, of course, um, a number of parties pointing out that people need some way to get by. And while the EPF withdrawals may not necessarily be the best in terms of a long-term solution, that sometimes it's difficult to think about the long-term when people need money in the short-term for concerns like health or um, in some cases just to put food on the table. Um, The other thing that we've been seeing increasingly from our government is, of course, the cash handout model, um, which most significantly, I think, began as the brim by uh, the Najib administration, but since then has been rebranded uh, in various forms uh, as the Bantuan Sarahido uh, uh, by Pakatan Harapan, um, also as Bantuan Prihatin Rakyat under the Perikatan National Government, um, as, uh, let's see, am I leaving anything out? Bantuan Keluarga Malaysia by the Ismail Sabri government. And 
Cash handouts also are something that um, are often viewed as a fairly populist move, something that uh, the government can do in the short term to buffer immediate concerns as to whether this is a model that works in the long term. Many people are split on that as an idea because, again, it doesn't create a reliable and sustainable model through which people can um, feel safe, economically safe. So, Again, that brings us back to whether a welfare government is something that we could be thinking about. Um, Now, to be clear, though, Malaysia does already offer a number of things that are associated with the notion of a welfare state. So, for instance, we have free education. We have free health care. We also have multiple programs within various government arms that aim to do various versions of um, what is associated with a welfare state. So we have uh, aid for children in the form of the uh, Tabung Warisans, for instance, or rehabilitation programs for malnourished children. We have aids for housewives, um, which includes things like the Aisuri aid. There is Bantuan Kase, which is aid for single mothers. We provide um, various forms of assistance for both senior citizens as well as people with disabilities. But As we were doing the reading and research for the show, um, all of this actually displays that they are done in fairly ad hoc ways and not in a comprehensive, systemic way. So we are going to spend uh, the show today talking about whether this is something that would work for us, a government-coordinated welfare system that is comprehensive and that aims to function in the model of a welfare state. Um, So we would like to hear from you on this. Should we move towards that would you be willing to pay higher taxes to get us there? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note, or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. So keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine. Books, figurines, movies. BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. It is 6.13. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And today we are talking about whether Malaysia should move towards being a welfare state. Um, And so we'd like to hear from you. Is this something we should be aiming for? And would you be willing to pay higher taxes to get us there? You can call 777-332-900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. Jeffrey, always good to have you with us. It's always my pleasure. Thank you. So in the last couple of years, um, there has been an increased demand for aid, whether in the form of welfare or EPF withdrawals or more cash, um, you know, direct cash transfers. And there's several reasons for this, right? Loss of jobs being one, the rising cost of living being another. What do all these indicate in terms of the average Malaysian's ability to cope with economic pressures? Well, I think that uh, they tell us what we've known for a very long time. I mean, I've been in Malaysia for 20 years, so certainly these are not new to me and they're not new to most uh, Malaysians, which is that when people face crises, they often find that they don't have the financial resources to respond to those crises. Uh, Most recently, of course, we have seen the effects of the lockdown, which have affected all of us one way or another, Uh, And we've seen that very many people were simply not able to respond to that uh, from a financial perspective. 
But even when you don't have uh, these uh, impacts that affect everybody at the same time, every one of us will face, unfortunately, at various points in our time, various crises, be it illness, um, uh, bereavement, or um, some job loss, or a divorce, or something like that. And what many people um, uh, find out, unfortunately, at the last minute is that they don't have the savings, they don't have the financial resources, and they're not able to deal with these things at the time that they need to deal with it. And it's particularly devastating, for example, if this is a question of illness, uh, somebody uh, regrettably has an accident in your family, for example, where you can suddenly see your medical costs uh, skyrocket in ways that you had never imagined, and you just don't have the resources to do that. And so what we have seen in the last few years um, during the lockdown is just how many people are affected by that situation. And it's not only those in the lowest income groups, it's actually those on average income and those in the M40 and above. So at which point should the government step in? I mean, in short, do you think these are all indications uh, of a need to shift towards being a welfare state? Well, I think there are two questions there. The first, uh, um, when should the government step in? The answer to that, I think, is before it happens. Because really, when we're talking about welfare protection, we want to have those systems in place um, at the time when people need the assistance and not have to put together ad hoc policies in order to try to help people uh, at the point when the disaster or the crisis has already happened. So really, we need to have structural reforms for the government uh, to have put in place these systems um, before they happen. Um, the question of a, a welfare state, I think it's quite important for us to first define what that means. It's generally taken to be a situation in which the government will take control of the responsibility for providing across a whole range of different types of welfare protection that you might need. The most obvious ones would be in health or in pensions. These will affect everybody. But then they can also involve things such as employment, maternity protection, maternity leave, um, looking after your family, uh, forms of um, uh, industrial accidents or long-term illness and care and so on. And um, that, that in a welfare state, the government would provide all of those things for you. Um, and that's that's uh, a, a quite a universal and comprehensive understanding of the welfare state. But an alternative uh, understanding of the welfare state is that it's not that the government would provide these things for you um, immediately um, of their own resources, but they would provide the infrastructure through various different mechanisms to make sure that you had this protection, whether it was provided by the government or provided by other means. Now, talk to us about what it would take for Malaysia to make that move towards a welfare state. What would that process involve? Well, it normally would involve a crisis. Most <laughs> most uh, countries around the world which have developed uh, their welfare state have done so after a significant crisis. The welfare state in Europe, most of the countries in Europe have a significant comprehensive welfare system. And most of these welfare systems uh, were um, developed after the Second World War. Um, and that's normally the impetus for because it, for the similar reason we just mentioned before, you know, people um, find that there is a significant crisis that affects a lot of people at the same time, and the infrastructure was not there. And then because of that crisis, they will then go ahead and start to build their 
infrastructure. So there would need to be some impetus um, for that. Um, in practical terms, it means the government needs to look across all of the areas that are important in terms of social protection. Normally, we have about nine or ten areas. Some people include public health or, or healthcare more generally, and I, I also believe that that's a very important component of um, a welfare system. Um, pensions, of course, are a very important component of the welfare system. And then um, some form of assistance when you have uh, various sort of breaks in, in your life one, one way or another. These are very important components. What would it mean for the government to do that? Well, in uh, historically in Europe, bas basically what the government has done is to nationalize the system and provide it directly through government uh, funded and government structured um, organizations. That's quite a dramatic and quite an old fashioned way of looking at the welfare state and providing welfare state. But if you have a more um, uh, innovative and eclectic approach, it would mean involving the government providing in areas where it's best for the government to provide these services and in other areas, partnering with the private sector to provide those services and in a further set of areas, just allowing people to look after themselves. But providing them with the support in terms of tax allowances and various other forms of easy access systems in order for, for them to provide those um, things for themselves. So it is actually quite, um, it's not actually, it, it's not rocket science, but it's, it's an, you know, to have an innovative modern system is actually quite a exciting possibility for structural um, reform. And it's not at all something that we should be afraid of. So uh, before we move on, actually, I think this is a point that's worth addressing. It's come in um, from Jessica. Is a welfare state similar to a socialist system? I can tell you that, but I certainly would support welfare state. Um, in Germany, the uh, Christian Democrats are not socialists, and they have uh, a system called the social market economy, which provides a very comprehensive um, system of social protection. Generally speaking, social protection is not antithetical to the market economy, and it's not antithetical to capitalist economies. In fact, some people would argue that it's a prerequisite for successful capitalist economies. So although, of course, um, a welfare state is a very fundamental tenet of people who um, have socialist principles and support socialist policies, it's not something that is the monopoly of socialism. Um, now... Alberto is bringing up a point that I had also wanted to ask you. So Alberto says, given the country's small tax base, about 2 million taxpayers out of a nearly 17 million strong workforce, I think a welfare state is wishful thinking. So just to build on that, economically, is a welfare state something Malaysia can afford? Yes, there's no question that Malaysia can afford to provide a much more significant uh, social protection system. Um <clears throat> Just look, last year, we spent 80 billion on subsidies and somehow the government found the money to do that. Those subsidies are a form of welfare support. Um, of course, <clears throat> they're not the best way of providing um, social protection and social welfare support because um, they are ad hoc and they're, they're, they're not structured. And as we know, because of the discussions we've had before, they don't always target the right sort of people. But in terms of the question of can it be afforded, yes, it can. Malaysia is not as impoverished as many people um, believe, and the welfare state does not always have to be funded through taxation. For example, 
Malaysia spends 25 billion ringgit a year paying agents to recruit foreign workers. If the government were to change that system, Malaysian companies could save 25 billion ringgit uh, of unnecessary agent fees, and that could be uh, used and spent on welfare support. Um, I've just written an article in FMT, for example, about uh, restructuring subsidies on electricity. And uh, we know that the re-tariff system that um, was introduced in January saved around four or five billion ringgit. And uh, we have identified another four billion ringgit that could be saved by um, additional changes in the tariff system for electricity. So there's already another 10 billion. So that 25 billion and that 10 billion is already 35 billion. And that's exactly the amount of money that is spent on the public health service. And it's more money than is currently spent on a, the, the total um, welfare provision across all of the programs. So Malaysia can afford it. It's simply a question of cutting out wastage, cutting out leakages, and finding the money within the existing budget, and it can be done. So while we're talking numbers then, is there an indication of how much money we might be talking about when we talk about moving into a welfare system? Well, we have estimated, and I've spoken before on BFM about a universal basic income scheme, for example. A universal basic income scheme, we would say, could be um, something that would cost about 20 billion ringgit, which is... Uh, one quarter of the amount of subsidies that were spent last year. This morning, I was asked about um, PSM's um, proposition for a universal basic pension, and uh, we calculated that it will cost about 10 billion ringgit. So though these are the sort of numbers that you're talking about. And uh, as I mentioned, they are not beyond the realms of possibility if the government is, re is prepared to restructure um, the, the, you know, the, the overall operational expenditures in fiscal policy. And I think the Prime Minister is interested to do that. And I think he's also interested, of course, to cut wastage and to find um, money that is currently being spent on things that uh, perhaps it shouldn't be spent on, and to refocus that and prioritise that for social welfare support. And I think that that's a very good thing. Now, the money needed to finance a welfare state will involve raising taxes. Uh, we're already getting plenty of opinions on this on either side of the divide. Do you think Malaysians might be open to this for the long-term benefits? I don't think that it necessarily would uh, require higher taxes. And if it did, then those taxes wouldn't necessarily be overly uh, burdensome. My view on taxation is that Malaysia needs to have a complete review of its tax system. And part of that review would be to find some money to fund important priorities in welfare, um, which are affecting very many people. Um, but I'm not of the view that it would necessarily require higher taxes. And I think that there are alternative ways that you can fund welfare systems. For example, in Japan and in Norway, there's sovereign wealth funds are used um, as very important mechanisms for funding um, social protection infrastructure, particularly pensions. And if Malaysia were to establish a similar new sovereign wealth fund, the Malaysia Super Fund, for example, um, then the in, not all to begin with, but certainly a big chunk of the social welfare costs could be funded by the returns, the investment returns, I mean, um, on a, a new social welfare uh, fund, a new sovereign wealth fund. So it's not necessary to increase taxes. And 
Actually, um, on that point, a number of messages in response, even to that idea of a possibility of higher taxes. Uh, Jimny, for instance, says, uh, no to a higher tax. I don't trust the government handling our money with so many white elephant projects and corruption. Leng says, we can't even afford to fund our hospitals properly. Let's not get carried away with new welfare policies. We should be working with better contracts. Um, how much of this actually comes down to a lack of faith um, with the government rather than the willingness to think about a welfare state? Um, I, I think a very big chunk, uh, and I, I agree with uh, some of the things that have just been said. You know, I've, I've also uh, expressed the view, why would you give more money uh, to a government which wastes so much of its waste? its spending processes, which we know about because the Auditor General tells us this every year that a great deal of money is wasted. So I, I fully sympathize with that perspective. But this is a question of management, leadership and governance. And if management, leadership and governance is improved, then we would have more confidence about uh, putting more of this responsibility into the hands of the, the government or taking it out of the hands of the government and putting it into independent um, still national um, um, funding organizations, but not necessarily uh, under the control of politicians. And how would this, um, I suppose, the message of a welfare state, how can this be conveyed to the public in a way that is understandable and palatable to them? I think the basic message is that we will all need it. And I think that the lessons of the last few years demonstrate that we will all at some point get ill. And we will need support for that, that we will, all of us face crises that we can't afford to pay for. And we will need to have a system in place that need that, that is there to help us at the time of needs. And if we look at pensions, and we know very well that uh, the Prime Minister has told us 81% of Malaysians in the EPF don't have enough savings to meet poverty level pensions, 96% of Malaysians don't have enough money to have a decent living pension, and we are all going to get old. So I think the most important message to understand is, even if you are in the M40, even if you are in the upper M40, there will be times in your life when you will need some form of social protection, and therefore it is there for all of us. And that's why we should support it. Uh, Jeffrey, so before we um, before we we sort of go down this path, I think one question that many might ask is: we do have a fair number of initiatives that would fall under this blanket, right, of um, a social welfare services. So we have free education, for instance. We have free healthcare. We have subsidies for food items. We have subsidies for fuel. Um, are these not enough? What would a welfare state be able to do that social services like these can't? Well, I think it is true that um, there are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of these um, schemes. And that is actually part of the problem. They tend to be small schemes focused on particular groups of people. And in many instances, the amount of money that is um, provided under each of these schemes is very limited. Another problem with having so many different schemes is that People who are in genuine need of assistance through these schemes often don't know that the schemes exist or they don't know how to apply um, for these schemes. So one of the basic principles of a universal social welfare um, protection system is that it should be um, easy and accessible and, above all, it should be simple. 
so that it should be focused on people who need it for um, specific reasons. And the, the primary reason for that would be that because their income is too low for them to be able to provide their basic necessities for themselves. And that would be a very general, uh, but also a very universal um, criteria for um, being eligible for um, social support. But then, of course, there will be specific uh, needs for specific um, cases, people who have long-term illnesses, people who have been involved in accidents, um, for example, would have specific programs. Unfortunately, what we see with the current system, and I think there was a report, wasn't there, by Kazana Research Institute, which showed that even before the um, stimulus packages that we had um, during the lockdown period, which introduced dozens and dozens of new schemes, even before that, there were hundreds of schemes. Um, and one of the main problems with that were, were that they were lacking in focus, they were ad hoc. And, of course, when you have um, um, so many dozens of schemes, they're very expensive to implement as well. So simplification of the scheme through a, a universal and structured um, social protection system is much better. So we have a number of me- people uh, circling one point that I'd like to get you to address. So Jessica says, too much welfare will make people lazy. Meanwhile, KW says, Asian countries are not suitable for a welfare state. Uh, we know that the ultimate dream of an Asian is to sit down and do nothing. That's why we have the word lepa, as opposed to Western countries where they constantly find something to do. So it's a no from me. Um which brings us to this notion of linking attitudes and, and a sense of complacency, really, with a welfare state. Um, thoughts? Well, it, it, the, this is a question of incentive. And um, with the greatest respect, it, it, it is not unique to Asia. We have these issues in every country in the world. We have these issues in Europe as well. Of course we do. The question is to provide um, welfare in the right way and to provide the amount of, uh, particularly the quantum of money, the, the, the amount of welfare support, in a way which provides an incentive for people to actually um, continue to, to look for work, continue to be in work in some instances. Uh, we have uh, something called in-work benefits, and that means that people are only eligible for such benefits if they have uh, an employment situation. Um, and generally speaking, when we are talking about welfare support, we are not... Um, um, talking about providing people with lavish uh, lavish, uh, lifestyles, we are more often than not simply providing um, a a basic level of uh, income support or a basic level of assistance to make sure that they don't fall into abject poverty and they don't fall into um, an extremely vulnerable and precarious um, situation. So, um, I, I am not of the view, I used to be of the view that um, welfare systems could um, encourage um, negative uh, incentives for people uh, not to be actively involved, for example, in the labor market. But I'm of the view that if they are properly designed, then they can be incentive compatible. And what that means is that they will help people actually to get into more productive um, activities if they are able to. And of course, if they're not able to, due to disabilities or long-term illness and the question of being lazy and the question of being in need of support doesn't arise. Of course, they need support. Now, in the context of Malaysia, could you walk us through what a rough timeline would look like for uh, this transition to take place? Well, it depends upon which aspects you wanted to deal with. Um, As we have discussed before, if you wanted to introduce a universal basic pension or a universal basic income, that could be introduced very quickly. It could be introduced in a matter of months or, or, or years, certainly before the end of um, 
a five-year period of the government, no question about it. If you wanted to do something um, much more um, substantive, for example, looking at uh, healthcare and um, uh, increasing not just the amount of money that's available in healthcare, but also the type of healthcare that is being provided, not just curative healthcare, but preventative healthcare. And increasingly, as we have an aging and older population, care assistance for people um, who need more um, help um, as they're getting older. That's something that takes longer. The structural reforms require more time to implement. But the biggest opposition in healthcare would be the pushback from the healthcare professionals and the pushback from the healthcare um, institution. Outside of healthcare, if you wanted to look at all of these many dozens of different um, projects and and, uh, programs that we just discussed a moment ago, if you wanted to sort all of those and convert all of those into a single payment for people um, who are in need of it because they fall below an income threshold, that can be done in a matter of months or or, or, um, years. So more than a decade ago, uh, former Prime Minister Dato Sri Najib Razak um, said that any attempts to turn Malaysia into a welfare state could result in an economic disaster. Um, what are your thoughts on this? What are some of the main concerns? Well, I'm, I'm tempted to say that uh, in his defence, uh, uh, Najib wasn't the cause of the recent economic disaster that we've been through, <laughs> but the absence of a welfare, welfare system was. So I think we need to put that in place. I mean, we've just been through three years, three of the most terrible years that uh, any of us have experienced because of an an absence of social protection, which is, I I guess, why we're having this conversation in the first place. But I would also say, based on a a little bit of what we mentioned earlier, if you look at some of the economies around the world, which are the most successful, the most productive, the most innovative, um, the most market-based, the most capitalist economies, uh, in Europe, here in, in Asia, in Japan, in Korea, or in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia, and New Zealand. These are very, very successful market-based capitalist economies, which all have a very significant social protection system. And the social protection system, in most cases, came before the economic success. And it has been a foundation on which they have built that economic success. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, it isn't the case that a welfare system, a welfare protection system is antithetical to a market-based economy and it's not antithetical to economic success. I would also say that Najib got his economic degree from Nottingham University, so you shouldn't listen too much to him. (laughs) Anybody from that university. But that's my view on it. So off air, when we were discussing the story, you said that a welfare state uh, puts... Uh, puts it all, basically, in the hands of the government, which can be inefficient. This came up even in the conversation today. Um, While leaving it to the market excludes a very large number of people and that something in between uh, might be needed. Could you talk to us more about that? What is this alternative that, uh, and what could it look like? Yes, when we, when we talk about these things, we often use the European model as being a, a, a quintessential welfare state. Normally, the United Kingdom is being a quintessential quintessential welfare state, and then we juxtapose that with America being a more market-based welfare system. And what we know is that um, the market-based system in America excludes very many um, people uh, for reasons that we we understand, because the market itself will exclude people who are most in need because they are the most expensive people, whereas the uh, state-based welfare system does involve the government providing everything, the infrastructure and um, 
uh, all of the financing for that. Somewhere in between might be something that I have in Germany, which is called the social market economy. And the social market economy uh, recognizes that there is a balance to be struck between providing the infrastructure that's necessary for the economy to be successful, to grow, to be vibrant and innovative, and to provide employment for people on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, to provide um, social social protection for those people who need it when they need it in in um, a very you know in, in the high quality that that they need it, and so that social market system is somewhere in between, and that so, you know that has been a very successful model in Germany. Um, it's not something that you can just lift up and drop on Malaysia. Um, you would have to make very significant um, changes in order for it to be appropriate in a Malaysia context. And there are, of course, questions about how it should be financed. The German system of financing would not necessarily be suitable here in Malaysia. But that type of basic principle, which is built on the idea of what we call subsidiarity, subsidiarity is a rather um, strange word that many people are unfamiliar with, but it basically means that um, if the government is best at providing it, the government should provide it. If the private sector is better at providing it, the private sector should provide it. And if individuals can provide it best for themselves, then they should provide it best for themselves. And that's somewhere in between the state doing everything and the private sector doing everything. And it's actually quite a successful model. We've done quite a lot of work on that in the Malaysia context, my, my, myself and my colleagues. Now, you alluded just now to uh, Germany, for instance, and, and of course, there are many other countries that have different versions of a welfare state. There's Australia, there's France. What are some lessons that we can learn from uh, these countries? And is there perhaps a model in particular that we can look to emulate? I think, as I've just uh, sort of suggested, there isn't a particular model that you can pick up from somewhere else and just drop in the Malaysia context. And one of the reasons for that is that expectations about um, what social protection should look like, who should provide it, and why it should be provided, who should get it, and how it should be done, are often specific to specific um, countries. So you can't just take a model and drop it on other um, countries. But um, something that does um, have a mix of the state providing some of the things that the state of is the state is best at providing, um, amongst which I would say would be pensions, for example, providing uh, pensions uh, largely through the state or through a state um, structure. Um, then looking at things that the private sector can provide successfully, which would be which would include various forms of insurance, and then looking after things that individuals can uh, look after for themselves, which involves them having a, um, a uh, access to saving and, and uh, um, processes that they where, where their, their own um, personal um, financial security is looked after by themselves. That type of system would be good. And that type of system is actually um, pretty characteristic of most modern versions of the welfare state now, even in countries which have historically had 100% provision by the government. Most have now moved into um, some form of partial or, in, in some instances, quite um, extensive public-private par- partnerships in order to deliver some of these things. We have, of course, examples of this in Malaysia. We have a My Salam, which is a form of insurance for, uh, paid for by the government but provided through private um, insurance companies. So it's not alien to Malaysia. Lessons can be learned from that type of scheme that we've already had here. 
to find out um, where it worked and how it worked and how it could be scaled up, for example. Jeffrey, thanks for speaking with us today. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Have a you too. That was Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology, uh, helping us understand the um, how, in many ways, a welfare state can be applied within the Malaysian context, uh, lessons that we could adapt from other places. Uh, but in the meantime, we would like to hear from you as well. Should we move towards being a welfare state? Would you be perhaps willing to pay higher taxes to get us there? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Boring, fake, macho. BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. It is 6.54. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we've been discussing the uh, possibility of Malaysia uh, moving towards being a welfare state, whether that's something that would benefit us. Um, And in a larger sense, um, deal with some of the financial pressures and concerns of the rakyat. So we'd like to hear from you. Should we move towards being a welfare state? Would you be willing to pay higher taxes to get us there? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we have a number of different thoughts coming in on this. I think first let's look at some folks who are on the side of this, um, and also talking about that notion of perhaps um, in some cases a change in the tax uh, system. Uh, in some cases, a, re- uh, a, a, a rehauling of the whole thing. Now, to be clear, our guest earlier, uh, Jeffrey Williams did talk about how a raising of the taxes isn't um, absolutely necessary when it comes to implementing a welfare state, that there are other ways that this could be achieved as well. Um, In fact, he also talked about how restructuring our tax system was uh, particularly important as we move towards this as well. But getting to the messages, so we have Praveen saying, as someone who's in the 24.5% income tax bracket, I don't mind paying more. However, I don't want my tax money to be used for cash handouts with the exclusion of Ministry of Health. Our civil service performance is not deserving of my extra tax dollars. Um, Praveen, you know, there were a number of others as well who were making the point about how they had concerns about where the tax dollars might go. Um, And and I do think that that is a valid one. Uh, Let's see. We have an anonymous listener who says, I agree with the welfare state uh, universal healthcare. I'm Bernie Sanders all the way about this issue. Private healthcare is also bad for wealthy people, not just poor people. When you're rich, you'll be offered and prodded with testing that you don't need uh, for simple sicknesses just because you have the money or you have expensive insurance. The hospital will take full advantage of testing treatments that you don't need need. Also, more testings will provide more false positives, false negative results of actual sickness. Money doesn't equal better healthcare. Um, Anonymous, you make I think I think your example, uh, this in this case about healthcare, um, also indicates how uh, a point that um, Jeffrey Williams was making earlier, that a welfare-based system would benefit all of us, not necessarily just people that we perceive as being in need. Um, so I think that this is one way in which um, that is Uh, You know, that's actually a really good example of how. We also have Wendy saying we should have a welfare country given its importance, but 
higher tax only if there's less wastage and more tax of the T20 that they can't escape due to loopholes. Um, so once again, Wendy, our question about the higher taxes is um, perhaps a more theoretical one because it's something people tend to immediately think about when we talk about being in a welfare state. Um, it isn't the only model. Um, but yes, I think, as I said earlier, a lot of people pointing out that if their tax dollars are going to go towards this, then there needs to be a better system of accountability. Um, we have, let's see, we have Katrina saying, uh, no, we have Kat actually saying, a robust welfare state requires also a critically engaged public, equipping ourselves and each other with the skills and knowledge to scrutinise policies, public spending, demand accountability and be involved also in the participation and implementation of programmes. I think we cannot cede our right to public facilities and infrastructure to the individual or to private bodies because we don't have confidence in the state. We have a right to a government that works for us and fulfils its duty to protect our rights. I agree with the expert that Malaysia has lots of money. It's about priorities. We spend an awful lot, billions, on infrastructure of policing and punishment, moral policing, detention, surveillance, and so on. We can and should redirect that to infrastructures of uh, and resources for care. I completely agree. I, I On all of those points, I think that it is important for us to be engaged. It's important for us to um, not just demand for accountability and transparency, but to also be part of the process. Um, and I think, again, the notion of implementing or moving towards a welfare state actually empowers us to take an active interest in those systems because our money uh, directly goes towards a system that benefits us collectively and, and benefits us in a way that is actually tangible. Uh, do keep those thoughts coming. Uh, we are asking you, should we move towards being a welfare state? Would you be willing to pay higher taxes to get us there? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here. BFM 89.9. Boyish 40-something millionaires. BFM 89.9. It is 7.07. .07. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And today we've been talking about uh, the the possibility, the notion of whether Malaysia should be moving towards becoming a welfare state. This, of course, um, is a discussion that is happening um, as we continue to have concerns about the rising cost of living, uh, an increasing number of people being unable to um, deal with the economic pressures of, uh, well, of, of living in today's post-pandemic world. So we'd like to hear from you. Should we move towards being a welfare state? You can call 77332900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we do have a voice note that's come in. This is from Vicky. Uh, concerning the welfare state, uh, one example is uh, locally for our disabled uh, to keep them in the workforce instead of dropping out because their pay is too low. The government gives an allowance for uh, the disabled whose salary is too low so that they will continue working instead of dropping out. So we encourage them to keep on working. Vicky, uh, thank you for that. Um, I think such an important point to make that um, there are many people in circumstances where being part of a, uh, a welfare state or, or other forms in which the government provides steady forms of assistance um, will 
will assist not just in um, being able to manage day to day, but in fact, allow, uh, in this case, for instance, people with disabilities uh, to progress, to be able to take on employment um, and essentially to be able to integrate in society in a much more um meaningful and, and equal uh, in a just way. And and so that's such a great point. We also have um, a number of thoughts that have come through. So we have Christopher who called earlier and said, I think they need to do it. I totally agree with the speaker earlier. In the last two or three years since the pandemic, there's already a structure that is moving towards welfare. Since COVID, there's been an initiative for us to work towards the system. Uh, that's such an interesting point, Christopher, because I agree. I think that it's um, it's post-COVID, post the struggles of the lockdowns and, and the pandemic, that many more people are seeing the value of having um, systems like this in place. And um, I go back to our guest earlier saying how often uh, these sorts of crises spur countries and nations towards thinking about welfare. And um, again, I do think that it would have been great to have the system in place before, uh, but it is such a good wake up call. And I do think that this is the absolute perfect time for us to be moving towards it. A number of others in support of the idea. Uh, Mizi saying, I'm not as good as saving. I'm not I'm not good at saving. So the EPF at least gave me some peace of mind when all is said and done. So a properly set up and executed welfare state should also be something that one can rely on when one is in dire straits. Uh, Winston, meanwhile, says, I'm all in agreement for welfare states because we are a small country with just 35 million people. It's a petroleum producing company. We have agriculture and minerals. With proper finance planning, I believe we can achieve a welfare state. Uh, Winston, I'm not sure whether you caught the early part of our interview with Dr. Jeffrey Williams earlier, but he, in fact, made a very similar point that we have the resources to do so. Um, and we just need to be restructuring how we spend that money. Um, so, yes, I think that is something to keep in mind. Um, we also have, let's see, Sabrina uh, making an interesting point, saying not a welfare state, but an insured state. Everyone should be insured, uh, for instance, with uh, like Medicare and have social security. It's very difficult for healthcare professionals to provide rehabilitation services without social security or Medicare. Sabrina, I... Um, completely agree that this is such an important point. Um, we take for granted the fact that we have uh, free, accessible healthcare in our public healthcare system, but often that doesn't account for things like rehab or, um, you know, post post illness care that our long term care which can often set back so many people um, and I think something like a uh, insure uh, an insurance scheme a um, or, or you know social security can go a very long way towards easing that sort of burden on people um, let's see a number of other thoughts Calv says I'm currently paying the highest tier of tax. I feel that I work so hard to earn more, but my tax has increased as well. And yet facilities are still the same. Not enough. Perhaps a fairer tax tiering scheme that regular professional earning uh, wages compared to... Uh, top tier taxpayers who run their own business. So um, a tiered tax system is uh, something that I think a number of people have been pushing for. Um, I, I do think, though, that our taxation system is something that could do with an overhaul. Um, it is, in fact, something that our guest talked about earlier as well. Um, 
to be clear, he also did point out that um, it isn't necessarily the case that taxes will have to be increased to accommodate a welfare state, but that a um, an overhaul of the taxation system could lead us in the right direction. Uh, in the meantime, let's see. Ah, Kamarun Nizam says, We are so near but also so far from a welfare state. I do feel we have, as a Bumi, I do feel we've always been a welfare state. So the speaker is right. We need to redefine our own welfare state. Um, I find that such an interesting point. Um, I, I think it is actually quite clear that within the government structure, there are a number of different initiatives and systems that would fall under the the umbrella of a welfare state. However, I think the problem is that there's a lack of centralization. There's a lack of um, the system working together towards a common goal. They seem to have been established to address individual, specific, or, or as you point out, Kamarunism, community needs, but not Malaysia as a whole and how that might work. So I agree that we are so near and also so far does seem uh, does seem uh, perhaps quite accurate. Uh, do keep those thoughts coming. You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We are asking you: Should we move towards being a welfare state? Keep your thoughts coming. Um, and after this, we will be hearing from different uh, stakeholders and interest groups on whether this would be helpful and how. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM eighty nine point nine. Brand-friendly marketeers, BFM 89.9. It's 7.16, you're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila, and we're talking about whether Malaysia should be moving towards being a welfare state. Keep your thoughts coming on this. You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Now, um, in the interest of hearing from the different types of groups that would benefit directly from this sort of move we reached out to a number of different um, a n- number of different uh, stakeholders and asked them for their thoughts on this so you will be hearing from uh, different people in this section of the show uh, first up we have international islamic university malaysia student union vice president rafiq shami for me, um, being a youth, especially, <clears throat> I fully support uh, moving towards welfare state. But we must also have to look at uh, the different kinds of welfare state that we have, models that maybe are different and can be brought different to um, our country. Not every model is fit, I think, because it will be depending on the social um, condition political will and also the economic condition of our country, Malaysia. I feel that moving towards a welfare state needs to have these three thoughts in mind, political will, uh, social condition and also economic condition. I support the welfare state and maybe we can move towards a welfare state by first um, changing our tax um, collection system, which have been uh, a bit changed during the budget 2023 um, presented by the Prime Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim and I feel that a robust tax system is very needed for us to have a good collection and to have enough money to fund the idea of a welfare state be it a universal basic income or free education for everyone 
but it will have some repercussion as in high tax rate for you know maybe progressive income tax rate that we can have, we have to implement to other people but yeah um, as youth I am all for welfare state moving towards elf welfare state but we need to have a look at the three um, priorities which is our economic condition political will and also social condition because um, sometimes not a lot of people are good to pay a high amount of tax. Thank you. You just heard there International Islamic University Malaysia Student Union Vice President Rafiq Shami. Now, another group that is often um, overlooked when it comes to the kind of resources that they might need, are, of course, people with disabilities. And um, when it comes to that notion of a welfare state, um, there are many, many uh, ways in which this can directly benefit people from this community. So here we have uh, thoughts from Muhammad Nadir Abdul Nasir, who is an independent researcher researcher of disability issues. I do recognize that this question whether we want to move to a welfare state uh, system is very nuanced and very complicated. However, both as a disabled person and as a Malaysian citizen, I strongly believe that Malaysia needs to move and fully embrace a welfare state system in Malaysia because in this system, the government, the state, is the main provider of all essential needs and essential rights of uh, its uh, citizens, uh, like housing, health, Uh, education. Some of it we already have in place like health, education, but it's only partially. But it will not work in current uh, economic design where we still uh, hanging on to neoliberal capitalist model, where we still very keen in pushing for privatization and so on and so forth. And the current understanding of welfare state, the current standing understanding of human rights, uh, also is not conducive for uh, Malaysia to fully embrace uh, a welfare system. Thus, we have to uh, reconfigure the way we understand, the way we translate human rights model, the way we uh, we um, the way we. Uh, create policies, laws, regulations around it, and also to gradually translate from current economic design to a new design where welfare state can be sustainable, can be implemented, and does not focus heavily on profit, productivity, and meritocracy. That was Muhammad Nadir Abdul Nasir, independent researcher of disability issues, weighing in on how a welfare state would benefit people with disabilities. Um, up next, um, we look at it from the perspective of um, an ageing society, particularly uh, the elderly and how um, they would benefit from a welfare system. And on that, we have Prof. Dr. Sharul Bahia Kamaruzaman, who is a consultant geriatrician. For Malaysia to even think about becoming a welfare state, we have to ask the following questions. Are we talking about a universal social policy, which is practiced by developed nations, where, for example, in Britain, welfare is seen as a basic right? Or are we going for targeted policy where welfare is provided to certain vulnerable groups where it's not a basic right and its eligibility is based on a means test? Now, reflecting on that question, Do we have the resources or capacity as a nation 
whilst we have the expertise, we have the economic growth, we have uh, various positives that could actually provide for its people, but it is crucial that we answer this as welfare cannot be divorced from how our economy is organized or structured. So given the changes that we've had, uh, whether politically or economically over the past decade or so, um, the ever-rising expectations and our depleting resources have made policy making relating to welfare a lot harder than before. So be it as it may, the direction that Malaysia takes in future is likely to be considered uh, where the targeted group's potential is taken into account, uh, as well as the principle of social justice. We need not look further than the decades of welfare. For example, the National Insurance Act or the National Health Service, amongst others that have created British society. Now, when we look at them right now, uh, in Britain, uh, the society there is a lot poorer than it otherwise would have been with all this. With more unemployment, greater dependency on the government, a much higher crime rate, and a less decent civil society. The National Health Service, which um, has created a more, a higher demand for service as opposed to what it's able to have. And this has resulted in its, its situation right now. But if you look across the pond in Singapore, while it's not generally regarded as a welfare state, the provision of housing welfare on a large scale has been uh, the nation's defining feature of its welfare system. To where you look at the HDB flats, the extensive housing system has played a very useful role in raising savings, its home ownership rates, as well as contributing to sustained economic growth in general, as well as the development of the housing sector in particular. So we do need as a nation to think before going into a fully universal social policy, which would be good for its people. What are we actually able to provide based on the current situation that Malaysia is in? That was consultant geriatrician, doc, Prof. Dr. Sharul Bahia Kamaruzaman. And finally, we have, uh, from the perspective of youth and students, uh, Dr. Pasup- uh, Do- S. Pasupati, Director of My Skills Foundation. Moving towards creating a welfare state will be definitely beneficial to youth in general, but in particular youth at risk. But before this could be achieved, uh, the government need to do a few things first. Uh, there must be a revamp of the education system where at the age of 13, the students must be given a choice whether to continue the education in the academic world or in the Tibet education. And those who are not inclined to academic, they must be given the choice to continue in Tibet. And both Tibet and academic uh, streams should be um, should be made available in each and every school, so there shouldn't be any disparity or uh, disparity. Uh, secondly, those students, um, while, while we're waiting for that, those students who are doing skills training um, in the private uh, skills training centres, they must be fully subsidised by the government. At the moment, the students have to take ten to $15,000 a ringgit loan uh, from, from the PTPK to finance their studies. I think poor students who come from this background, uh, they should not be burdened with a loan once they come out. And third, I think um, most of these students uh, who, who qualify as youths um, as with skills training, uh, when, they, when they work in the urban setup, they spend at least 20 to 25% of their income 
are paying for the rental. I think the government should provide youth hostel at minimum rental um, so that uh, they can uh, to lessen their burden. So all these will definitely will be beneficial to, be to the youths and in particular youth at risk and so that there will be inclusiveness that was Espa Supati, director of My Skills Foundation, weighing in on how a well-implemented welfare system would benefit young people. Um, and with that, we are closing off today's show. But keep your thoughts coming. Should Malaysia move towards being a welfare state? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.